Welcome to the Call It Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to discuss the impact or lack thereof from the January 6th hearings, as it appears at this point that we may have seen the last one. And we'll also react generally to the hearings from a big picture standpoint. And later on, we'll take a look at some recent research that gets into how just changing when you eat, as opposed to what you eat and how much you eat, can make a huge difference as far as chronic illness and and just managing wellness in general. Joining me today is a man who, if you get out of line, will tell you to hit the road, Jack. Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde. Do you ever let these folks come back? No. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) No, we're recording this. (laughs) Now we're recording this on October 17th, 2022. And last week, we saw the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack have their final scheduled public hearing, which they happened to end on a notable but likely symbolic note of voting unanimously to subpoena former President Trump. But over the past few months, these hearings have provided an opportunity for Americans to hear testimony from prominent political officials, many of which were Republicans and even worked in the Trump White House, and also from law enforcement and national, national security sources. So really to try to get a big picture of what, what happened and you know what was going on. And through this testimony, the hearings painted an unmistakable picture that both the big lie, you know, that is the lie that Trump has been pushing in the media, he tried to push it in the courts and unsuccessfully, but in the media that the 2020 election was stolen from him. And then also the lead up to January 6th and the actual January 6th insurrection were essentially a concerted attempt to override our small D democratic system, our our system of voting and and elections and peaceful transitions of power. So it was trying to override that. So Tunde, I mean, big picture. Now that we've seen what is most likely going to be the last of the it's the last scheduled one and we got elections coming up next month. of the the January 6th hearings, what's your biggest takeaway as far as what's been revealed, just, you know, as far as what was covered? Um, I would say the biggest, there's several. Um, So I'll start as just three that come out to me standing like in preparation for this answer. (laughs) Hey, going above and beyond, man. Yeah, no. So yeah, you did ask me for one. I'll give you three. Uh, (laughs) I'll take three. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, No. So one was just the, you know, it dawned on me at this last hearing that through the through all the hearings, the primary witnesses who told the story were all Republicans, and not just Republicans that could be labeled rhinos or you know the kind of the, the never Trumper types, right? These were people who were on the real inside. We're talking about inner attorney, circle, yeah, inner Attorney circle. General William Barr, um, Ivanka and Jared Trump, Mike Pence and his whole you know his 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 team, his staff, and 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 people on on you know his 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 side of of the work side, you know, in terms of the, 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 the chief of staff and, and a few others. Um, and, you know, I, I don't need to name every individual, right? But meaning these were people who were in like the side of Trump to, to the end. I mean, a lot of these people were even there post the 2020 election and were, yeah. and were explaining what was happening. So these aren't people that jumped off the train, you know, in year two or three of the administration. Yeah, never um, Trumpers or, you know, yeah, or people who jumped off like Cassidy Hutchinson, White House aide, you know, like that. Yeah. These, these are inner circle people, yeah. Well, and that's what I mean. Like William Barr, you don't get more inner circle than the attorney general who yeah. 
did a gallant job defending the president against, you know, the Robert Mueller investigation, for example, and made that go away. So this isn't somebody who wasn't into protecting President Trump when necessary. It's just a guy that wasn't into, I guess, lying <laughs> and, and, and trying to blow up his country's democracy when there was no uh, proof of uh, or need to. Um, so that was one just interesting thing to me that this wasn't um, like Democrats piling on about Trump or finding the Lincoln Project members or these never Trumpers, you know, it, it was, this was truly people that were in the administration. And I think like mo many of them expressed it outside of the chaos that happened post-election that led to the January 6th insurrection, they all believed in everything else they were doing, you know, the policies of the Trump administration and all that kind of stuff. So that to me was interesting that it was really, um, Republicans, and then at the state level too, they had representatives from Georgia um, and Arizona. I remember specifically earlier in the hearings that again were all they had the Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives who was a Republican um, yeah. because it's a Republican-controlled legislature. So again, the sources to me were interesting that they were primarily Republicans, and I'm sure that then, was in part intentional. I mean, yeah, no, they, I'm they, sure they wanted just, to, they did not want it to be to appear at least to a an observer who was trying to to look at this with a fair mind. They did not want it to appear as if this was a pile on, a political hit job. They wanted to show and demonstrate that this was something that was uh, ideally something that people could see as above partisan politics. Yeah. And then the other two, which are quick, one was, you know, they, they laid it out that President Trump decided he wasn't going to leave prior to the November election, like no matter what the outcome was, he was yeah. going to stay in office. That was number one. So to hear the, the the plans and the proof of that was interesting. And then the last one was that by 8 a.m. on the morning of January 6th, we all we heard the radio traffic and all the reports and they're confirmed by, again, some of these people we mentioned earlier, um, that the president knew that there were armed people like in this crowd. He knew that people had long guns, pistols, all that kind of stuff. And the Secret Service knew. And again, so instead of saying, okay, we got to tone this down here and all that, his response- hey, well, hold on, hold on. They knew that they were armed and they knew that they the plan was to march to the to, to the Capitol. Yeah, like, that's it, my point. Yeah, so yeah, instead yeah. of kind of saying, holy, you know, you would think somebody said, man, all these people got guns and all that, you know, let's, maybe, maybe we should rethink what this is going to turn into. Um, it appears that, like you just said, not only did- he understand there were armed people there, but the intent when asked about it, he says, well, they're my people. So it shows you, like you're saying, that contrast of I'm not worried about them because they're not here for me, implying that, well, they must be having the guns for somebody else then. So those are the three things that stuck out to me. <laughs> Quite an implication. <laughs> hey, I'm just drawing. They, a they're lines. armed, but they, they're on my side. So yeah. hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm just drawing some lines here. I don't know if they can. No, no. I, I actually, for me, <laughs> I thought that I thought the committee did a better than expected job in showing, like you, the, the, your point too, um, that the decision was made prior to the election. Like, look, we're going to try to make this happen. You know, like it, it, we're just going to try to make this happen and stay in power and by kind of like by hook or by crook, we're going to try to make this happen. And how from that decision, all of this stuff, everything that happened after that, it was all there was a shell game basically that was happening. And it was a concerted effort to, OK, if we don't win, then we have to throw confusion out there and make it seem like make people pick sides, not based on what the media, you know, who's calling elections or even what the number of votes are. We just got to get stuff 
out there, you know, like, and then we got it. And so there's that managing of that so we can have support behind what we're going to do. And then you've talked about this, you know, they went the legal way. They, they tried to file lawsuits. They filed countless lawsuits and so forth. And so to me, to see all that as one continuous progression that ends basically January 6th. And that was kind of the, you know, almost, you want to say the last ditch, but I would say that it was kind of just a, the, 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 the last ditch effort for that iteration, because I think from this, I also see that this is going to happen again. You know, like this is the idea of, okay, I, I lost an election. So now I'm just going to go lick my wounds and get ready for the next time. Maybe over, you know, because this has been shown to be galvanizing, you know, for people. And so to me, what it actually reminded me of, and if you look at it at a long arc like that, you can see almost we've talked about in the past, the fire hose of falsehood. You know, I'll, I'll bring it up again, how important it is. To, to, to get out there, to be one of the, the tenets of it in terms of is, is being, you know, you want to be rapid, continuous, and repetitive from a propaganda standpoint. And so the, and the reason being, rapid being, because first impressions, you, you lock people's first impressions in. So the fact that the decision was made beforehand to say, hey, whatever happens here, we're going full go with, we're not, you know, this is ours. That that allowed them to be like to get out there so quickly and to say, hey, you still got majority Republicans believing the election was stolen. How do you do that? Well, you get out there, you're fast, you're right away saying, no, 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 it was stolen right away. You're ready to go with all that stuff. And then you repeat it over and over and over and over and over again. So to me, it showed like the hearings did a good job of, to me, revealing the that the plot wasn't a haphazard kind of, you know, jumping from here to there, because in real time, I, it felt more disjointed than now with some with some time and and to hear it talked about from people on the inside it's like oh wow this was quite an effort this was quite an attempt you know in terms of you know forget seceding from the union let's just take this joint over yeah. you know like that to me that that's what really stood out once you get what the way they laid out the big picture and the plan and the continuous nature of it and when it started i think was just it was well, surprise it was amazing to see so to speak that it was that well, or that 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 big, you know, and that well, or not. I wouldn't say well planned, but that cohesive, coherent. Yeah, I no, I think uh, there's several things to pull out of that. I mean, one is for me, it, it's not a surprise to learn that President Trump has the personality that once he would, uh, you know, get into this seat of power, the ultimate power of being president of the United States, that it would be hard for him to leave, even in a fair loss. That was not surprising to me at all because we no, already saw. We saw well, remember, seeds in 2016, of it. In, that's, he was that's talking about, going. yeah, okay, yeah. It's, it's the seeds of it in 2016. He was already making a case before he won. That's why he looked so surprised in 91. Yeah. Because I'm sure he had another plan for if he lost and how to make, <laughs> make money and a, and a big thing off of it, you know, being a yeah. sore loser. And then the other was, um, this is what people forget. I mean, like you said, the fire hose of falsehood. The problem is the fire hose, right? There's so much information at all times constantly that we forget yeah. actually important things like, he did this to Ted Cruz in the Iowa caucus in the 2016 Republican primary. Mm. Remember, Cruz beat him mm-hmm. and he, in Iowa, and he immediately said that it was stolen, yeah. that it was rigged, that it, he even called the people of Iowa dumb for yeah. doing that, which I'm not sure looking back now, if it was stolen, then they might not be dumb. So if he really lost, then I guess he could call them dumb. So which one is it? But the bottom line is, is to your point, like, this happened already. So that's not was like for somebody to tell me Trump doesn't want to leave office after he lost to Joe Biden. I'd be like, OK, tell me something new. Like, you know, yeah, 
But mm-hmm. to your point, that that what the hearings did a great job, I thought, laying out were, like you said, it kind of felt ham-fisted on the six. I remember watching it live on TV, thinking, what the hell's going on here? And it, it did, one could have, if this never got investigated, one could argue that, yeah, there was just a mob that was there to support President Trump and try and maybe pressure through through words from the outside, you know, just showing that they were angry and pressuring yeah. the vice president. Show a force with but, all those people, like a march, yeah. you know, type of thing. Yeah. But 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 the reality is much different, and and that's what you're saying. We've laid it out uh, uh, before, but just you know, they they is not even just let's start with the courts or let's start with this. It appears now that there were all these plans in place. Like yeah. you had certain people in place, like let's say the Roger Stone and the Steve Bannon types were the ones to take care of the outside relationships of force, which primarily would be the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters. So they're the liaison to those groups that if we need them to show up and and do all that tactical stuff and coordinating, you know, like we saw with the military gear and all that, those guys take care of it. Stand they back and stand Sydney- by. Yeah, they had stand this. Back and stand yeah, by. and stand back and stand by. Yeah, <laughs> yeah had a lot of that, people that's saying what they were called on. Apparently, I know. Yeah. So he, we should listen to what people say, right? Um, right. But then you had the Sidney Powells and the, the Rudy Giuliani's. They were the ones lined up to try and deal with the legal system, right? Yeah. And then you had the. Um, I mean, that's why Donald Trump was so angry at Fox right after the election when they were actually being honest, because yeah. he had his other organs on OAN and all these other, you know. Uh, uh, outlets of cable, and I'm sure you know they had the guys online ready there, the trolls ready to start disrupting stuff. So there was an well, information- no, it, it reveals that because that was first, and so that was that was actually the plan wasn't for that to happen because they needed to get out before. Remember, his plan was to declare to declare victory. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, like, and then Fox beat him to doing that. And so he was angry because it threw off that part of the plan. We thought he was just mad because oh, you know, you're. But no, actually, that there was. A plan yeah, that, yeah. that it was, it was being thrown off by that. Yeah, yeah, that they wanted to declare victory even under a loss. And so that's my point is just saying, just to, to wrap it up and I'll throw it back, is that um, it was much more coordinated than prior, uh, you know, than I guess we knew. And this idea that all these levers were being pulled before the election. So if you look at the Steve Bannon and, and Roger Stone contacts with the muscle, right, the, the brown shirts, the guys that were going to supposed to go in and, 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 and intimidate everybody after the legal stuff and all that failed, they were talking to them prior to the election. So that's why this is, this is not a haphazard. So yeah, it, it reveals, I mean, that's the, yes, that's the thing. It reveals the depth of it, you know, and because yeah, when you're in, like we said before, and talking about other things, when you're in the middle of the storm, you, it just all seems like it's happening and and that you can't necessarily see the connection. So, I mean, I think that was the biggest, biggest thing that I uh, took away from it. Now, I'll, I, you know, just to kind of pivot, I, I want to mention, because we've seen over the last few months, you know, that the hearings, with the hearings, you know, Americans by and large aren't changing their views as far as what happened in the 2020 election and on, you know, leading up to January 6th and at, on January 6th. And so what, like, we have to grapple with the what with what that means. You know, what does it mean that Amer- that polling seems to indicate that people kind of are locked in to what it is that they think about this, and then these facts come up, and or this information comes up, and if you've, uh, it seems like most minds are already closed off to new information about this, and that's like I just I want to comment real quick before I throw it to you on this. It seems like, and I mean this would make sense if you look at it in this way, that time basically has hardened 
everyone's position. By the time the the January 6th commission got going, uh, more than a year had passed, really, as far as what had happened. And so people had kind of settled on what it is that they, you know, what, what their impressions of it was. And we know how confirmation bias works. Confirmation bias is very powerful. And it is very effective for our brains to automatically block out information that conflicts with what we believe and to seek out and find information that confirms what we believe. You know, it works in both ways. And so to me, what I see here with this is, is an act, an, an exercise basically in confirmation bias. And so there's two pieces here to actually look at when you say, okay, the, the polling indicates people's minds haven't changed. One is the part of how their minds got made up in the first place. And two is, okay, well, once their minds got made up, all this information is it not getting through or is it that they don't, just don't care? Like, what are your thoughts? Basically, I'll throw it, you know, throw it to you now at this point. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing there where all of this kind of information? It's not like there have been hearings and government hearings in the past where people get more information. It's kind of like, oh, I have more information now. My feelings have evolved on this. What do you see here that that it has no no or not? No, it has minimal effect as far as how people are viewing what happened only two years ago. Um, I mean, I think you called it partially in, in your setup here, which is that um, people, you know, and this is just everybody, this isn't about politics, right? That time has a way of hardening our thoughts and our minds about all kinds of subjects, right? Yeah. And once, like you said about confirmation bias, and I mean, it takes a certain understanding of these psychological terms and, and understanding how the mind works around them. But, um, you know, you even have things that we've talked about, like the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, this leaving people to start figuring stuff out on their own can be good. And sometimes it doesn't work. Right. And I think, so part of it is the time, like you said, everyone's kind of, especially in a hyperpolarized environment, a lot of people have made their decision. Yeah. And I think that to your point, once someone's made a decision and, and kind of from an emotional level that they're now, their value system is attached to this direction or this narrative, it's very difficult to dislodge that. And, and then, because I, I think there's a lot of things happening at once. I don't think it's like, okay, we could point and point, you know, 30.6% of people are just because of this and yeah, yeah, yeah. 25%. Because I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's understanding that, but then who else understands that, that has the power to influence it are the big media companies, you know, the social ah, media bingo. platforms yeah. like Facebook and to have the algorithms that continue to, to, to drive things to certain people and all that. And so where I'm getting at is, you put the ecosystem, the information ecosystem and how we're all receiving information and, and the information and everybody gets to watch. It's like everyone getting a trophy when they're a kid. Everybody gets to watch information that they want and not things that will upset them. Yeah, and so, I, used to, I, was, I used to call that participation trophies for news. Everybody yeah, wants is. their participation so trophy. What, what I'm getting at is, so here's what I was preparing for. That. I started thinking like, where did this all start? And it started with this idea, the big lie, right? Number one, yeah. it's this idea again that certain people just think, I guess, their opponent is illegitimate to have a say. So remember right after the election, it was the justification for all these court cases and all this was because, well, 70 million people voted for President Trump. It was a record. It was a record. But they they left out of that part that, okay, 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. Like, it's yeah. not, and I don't say that as a knock to Trump. It's just that like more people voted for Bush than Gore or more people it, voted than for well, Reagan than Carter. Like the omission that's how elections that, work. Though, but but <laughs> the know? omission of that, to your point, was telling. 
Like Correct. Yeah. the fact that 70 million voted for Trump is not directly relevant unless you also know how many voted for the other Correct. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing. Like, if on its 60 own. million voted for Biden and 70 for Trump, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, it'd be the reason why Trump lost is because more people. Now, then you get into, because remember at this time, this is my memory started getting jogged about this period of time around the election. Then you go to all that, when you say fire holes of falsehoods, all this fast moving information. How many people in my life, clients of mine and all that, that when like the day or two after the election, they were getting motivated by all these videos they saw online of, yeah. you know, the black people in Atlanta wheeling in suitcases of votes or yeah. the thing yeah. coming in, um, the, 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 the truck coming into Detroit at, at, um, yeah, yeah. And, and at, at six in the morning. And again, we joked about this, I remember, on a conversation like, it's funny how without even realizing, it's always the brown people's fault, right? Like the whole state of Michigan, but it's got to be Detroit. Yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. state of Pennsylvania, but it's got to be Philadelphia. The yeah. whole, you know, and it's just no, funny. It's the the whole state of we, Georgia has got to be Atlanta. You know, we've talked That's, about these cold ways. It's the inner city. The inner city, yeah. All these <laughs> the bad city, people yeah. in there that would steal from you and all that. And so it's this, so it, it when you're talking about then confirmation bias and, and, men, and psychological narratives, right? That already fits a narrative for enough people, like a 30% of the country that wants to believe that people in those parts of the state would probably do something bad if they could, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. and then the last thing, and I'll kick it back is because the, the, the inability for the truth to come out, which was Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin specifically, which are the main states in question, I guess, with some of this stuff. All are dominated, not just a little bit majority, dominated by Republicans in the legislature of the state. Yeah. Remember, because it was a pandemic, all four of those states' legislatures made rules changes to the time of mail-in votings and things like that. This was all done by Republicans in power in those states. But because their guy lost, then remember when I think Arizona wanted to sue Pennsylvania or something like that, like, yeah. then they're all, then it was like, oh, well, the Democrats try to steal it because they wanted to do mail-in votes. Yeah. And that somehow, see, like, that's what I mean by the lie took form. Like, somehow there was something illegitimate well, because of mail-in voting. Because you started with the conclusion, you, not you, but people yeah. started with the conclusion and then they tried to find arguments to support that. And so, yeah, yeah things, people who had supported one thing three months before... Their thing that they supported became one of the boogeymen for the reasons why the election was stolen. But I yeah. think looking at this implicitly, we look at the deniers because the evidence primarily presented by the uh, the deniers of the election, the people who minimize the insurrection, because the the evidence presented by the the the, the January sixth commission indicated that they they had staked out a position that was erroneous. So I mean, it, I don't I want to say that out loud because. Yeah, if, if 60% of the people think that this is an insurrection, then you wouldn't expect that 60% to change anyway. You know, like because, well, yeah, if you, you thought it was an insurrection, then you saw a bunch of testimony from all types of experts, and many of it coming from Republicans saying, yeah, yeah, yeah this is what happened. And then you're not going to change your mind at that point. So some of the resiliency, you know, or at least some of the people looking at it and their positions not changed is because the hearings supported what they believe. You know, the, the hearings reinforced what they believe. But I think when you look at the people who did not think that the narrative that was told by, or, you know, that, that, that did think the, the election was stolen or did think that the January 6th was a legitimate political exercise, um, I think it's important to realize that their sources of information haven't changed. And you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to say this expressly. 
the places where they're going for information, those sources are still saying more or less that the election was not, that there were funny things with the election or that January 6th was overblown. And, you know, this is now it's just personal and they're just trying to attack you. So it doesn't it, it, it would make sense that if while they may or may not watch the hearings, the commentary that they're receiving over and over again still supports it still would have them want to stay with their existing beliefs. So it'd be one thing if their sources of information say, hey, you know what? Seeing all this information, seeing you know Attorney General Barr get up there and say, here's what's happening. We might have to look at this a little differently. If that would have happened, then you would expect, I believe, more people amongst the deniers to say, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to reconsider this. And so I think that we ha- we can't look at this issue without also acknowledging that the people, by and large, if, and this, I mean, to call it back up, the fire hose of falsehood goes into this as well. Having multiple sources that are going to be putting out what it is that you're trying with whatever you're trying to propagandize, have multiple sources doing it, have them doing it a lot, and make sure it's people that you know. You make sure the sources are pe- thing, pe- people that have built-in credibility. People already are, are on board with them because if they're already on board with them, then they will look at with the things that they're saying with much less, uh, or they'll, they'll give it much more credibility. I should say. This goes back to, because I can't help but think, but leadership's important. It shows the selfishness of someone like Donald Trump specifically, because I can't help thinking of someone like Al Gore, who also yeah. had an election that he lost in much more contentious way than this one. I mean, this was a straight election. That one was decided. Votes were stopped Counting in the middle of a vote count in a major state like Florida. And with 513 yeah, five, extra five, votes. Yeah, little over, it was over 500. Yeah, little the over Supreme 500 Court votes. said no more, and and this guy won. Over, after the Florida s- Supreme Court said we're going to count all the votes, the U.S. Yeah. Supreme Court stepped in and said no, you're not going to count all those. It's votes. interesting how conservatives didn't want to protect states' rights in that interest. So, but that's well, a whole other conversation. But, but all I'll, I'm just saying, I, um, um, James, is that it shows that leadership's important. Because we had a leader for the first time in our country, and as I said, that learning through these hearings, he never planned on leaving, no matter what. So it's also bigger than just the people that stormed the Capitol and all that. It's almost like, what does our system do if we have a guy like this next time who basically says, you know, I want to be the king of the United States. I just don't want to leave. And then I'm going to gin up brown shirts, basically people to come intimidate other people. Well, I mean, that, that's that's really what happened, right? It, it, that's I mean, what I've said. It's an honest to goodness <laughs> a, attempt to take out the system. It's an yeah. honest to goodness attempt to take out the system. Like, look, this is what you guys have been doing, but you know what? Things have changed. I'm gonna. It, it's my show now. I mean, and that's that to me is what the the hearings really reveal. And so, and I think that 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 leads me actually to my next point because I think that there's two options to really look at. Okay, how did the people who are in favor of this get there? And I say this from the standpoint, and I think it's important to understand this, because ultimately, while we still have democratic system, which is not a given, and I think that people need to stop understanding or thinking this is just a given, this is just America's birthright, so to speak. You know, democracy is something that it always requires vigilance. And and so because people want power, you know, and so if you want it, if, if you want to keep the power with the people, then the people need to stand up against individuals who might try to secure the power for themselves. But People have either been propagandized and, you know, I cited the fire hose of falsehood propaganda model twice already, two different platforms of it, so to speak. And so and that's out there, you know, like the media sources you trust, people you trust are telling you this stuff over and over. Leaders you trust are telling you this stuff, regardless of of what I might think their motives are, regardless of what I might look at as the fallacies in their evidence or what courts might look at in the fallacies of their evidence. People are hearing that and they say, you know what, I believe this person. You know, that that's that's a real thing. 
So you have that. But then also you have to consider the fact, and I think that this is looking at American history, this is something that is much, very much so on the table, is that some people are just okay with this. Some people think that it's okay if you don't win an election to take it by force. You know, if you, some people think that, no, 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 this is mine, regardless of what the vote says. If the vote says you got more votes than me, then I need to stop you from voting. Or I just need to stop people who are voting for the other side from voting. That's what Jim Crow was, you know? Like, so it's not like it's not part of this country and that there's not people who have this kind of ideology that, no, 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 I'm the winner. We'll vote just to make everybody feel good. But either I win because I get more votes or I knock out your votes. And so therefore I win because I get more legitimate votes. Like they have elections in Russia, but and Putin miraculously gets 98%. But it's not because 98% of the people there vote for him. It's because they don't, it's not set up to where whoever gets, they're going to count all the votes and whoever gets the most votes wins. So there is an element there. And I say that to say, not to say, oh, we need to demonize this or anything like that, to say that the people who do care about a democratic, small d democratic system, small d meaning not the Democratic Party, but meaning people, you know, majority rules, you know, majority win elections, so to speak. People who do care about that need to participate. Because if you don't participate, it will get taken out from under you if you're thinking it's just your birthright, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that, you know, speaks to a larger kind of um, way that people think and are wired, right? Because you're right. Like, I think a lot of Americans take for granted that democracy takes work. And we've talked about this in other discussions. You know, our country is roughly 250 years old or so. Um, and, and, just the add, just great. and a lot of Americans take for granted the fact that they think that all other Americans are fully on board with the idea of a fair and open democracy for everyone. We yeah. a, a lot of people take that for granted that everybody thinks like that. Everybody doesn't necessarily think like that. Well, and that's what I'm getting at. Really, it's humanity, right? Like, yeah. if we're the longest running democracy known to human history um, in this in the form that we're in, um, then we're only 250 years old and we've got five, 6,000 years of written history to yeah. go on. So clearly the state of humans organizing in this way, where at least the general population has a voice in directing, you know, traffic, I guess, from, from, for the country is very rare. And so I think, you know, part of it is we need to accept that tribalism and kind of suspicion and conspiracy are, are more common in human history. That's our natural of, state. That's, so, yeah, that's a natural no, way. Bit, we, just let me add this to your point. Even in our country, 250 years, right? Well, <laughs> until we had the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s, you would say that our country didn't have an open democracy in that sense, so in yeah, terms of I mean, everyone voting. And even forget race, women's suffrage. We didn't have that, you know, for the first hundred and some years. And so, yes, this well, that's thing what I was right going to say. Here, I mean, yeah. If you think about it, 1920, women get the right to vote. The country's founded in 1789. Let's call it 1790 for me to make the math easy. So that's 130 years from the founding of the country to when women could vote. And we're 102 years with women being able to vote. So where we stand now, the, the country has spent more of its time without a whole half of the country, you know, one of yeah. the two genders. Um, at least back then there was two genders. <laughs> and, and look, and look, you talk about, but, well, hold on, you, you talk about the, you go to the sixties where it was well, let me tell you this brown. Though. So well, let me add this though, because, yeah. and you talk about, oh, well, the women got a constitutional amendment and then, you know, we're good. Well, remember there was a constitutional amendment in the 1860s that guaranteed the right to vote for, for men. But even after that, there was enough 
there were enough people in this country to say, even with that, we don't care about that constitutional amendment. We're going to deny people the right to vote in, in the face of that constitutional amendment because we want to win. And they won't if we if we let them vote, we won't win. So, again, it's not even a thing of, oh, well, they just did it because they could get away with it because the laws like, no, no, no. Even if the laws said everybody can vote, they're like, not nah, everybody can't vote. So to say that that kind of ideology has vanished would be turning a blind eye to the way what what exists here, you know. And so I do want to move on, though, um, and. Just ask you, I mean, briefly, I, I want to get through this part really quickly, but just looking at the results at this point, um, do you think the investigation and the hearings were a waste of time then? We're talking about, you know, how people's positions have hardened. Um, you know, you have your pockets of information, your information ecosystems that, you know, penetrate a lot of this information, or excuse me, they they keep out. This information cannot penetrate and people are reinforced in their positions that would there may be disproven by, you know, if, if someone actually watched this with an open mind. So, was it too little too late, you know, or, or do you think that this has value beyond just, you know, what looking at it in this in, in this moment? Um, I don't think it's too little too late. Um, I, I it's like it's I guess let me just back it up. because It's kind of weird the way I feel about it. Right. I think it's worth it. I think we needed to, you know, have something in posterity and, and something for the history books as to, you know, the first time since 1812 that the, the capital of the United States was stormed. Right. And the first time that someone could get a Confederate flag in there, the famous picture of the guy ever. walking, you know, they, yeah, they, they weren't even able to do that in the Civil Civil War. So is it worth having this looked into, documented, blah, blah, blah? Yes. Right. I think so. I, so that's my answer there. Yeah, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad we learned what we learned, like from the first question you asked me. Right. I, I, I yeah. learned a lot watching it. And um, and 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 so but. Like you said about the stats, that a lot of people's positions really haven't changed. And that's the interesting thing. Like, the, will it matter that this took place? I'm sure in the long run it will in some respect. But we're, you know, the, the damage has been done before this in terms of the fracturing of our discourse in this country, the ecosystems that can keep people in these reality bubbles, whether they be true or not. You know, so all the stuff we said, right? Like you would think that, it, like you said, if if everybody was on board with just making sure the country itself was healthy from a democracy standpoint, and that we had at least transparency and truth in stuff like this, and we all you would agreed on what that meant. Again, some people think that the country being healthy means that only they get to vote. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, because if it wasn't that, then you would think that. All of these outlets, including the quote unquote conservative ones, would be doing what I just did there, but back after the election and, and into January of 21, which would be explaining that this wasn't stolen, the changes weren't made, you know, the mail in ballots and all that were changes were made by Republican legislatures to deal with the pandemic, and that, you know, these weren't, you know, black people shifting, you know, boxes of stuffed with votes for Biden in the middle of the night in Michigan. This is how their system, I mean, they explained it in the hearing. You got these huge cities and they have certain locations that are secure. So they bring in these boxes from the drop boxes and all that. And just, I mean, it's normal stuff that happens every election. And all of a sudden now, everyone's an expert into election laws and, and election security. And, and people that never from, talked from about a, elections a before. a 10 second video. That's what I mean. <laughs> and then, you know, and it's funny because then I remember watching 60 Minutes soon after and they showed the actual full video. So it's like, you know, but what I'm saying is none of that matters 
Because the information is out there by now for anybody who wants to really learn about what happened in the election. So the fact that so many people choose not to tells me several things. And it could be a combination. One is like we talked about, they made an emotional stake and it's very hard to, to and change that. Emotional and, and identity. Their, their yeah, identity so I mean, it's just hard to change that. A lot of people think that if they were to acknowledge that it was a fair election, maybe that they're giving their quote unquote opponent a win. We can't allow that, you know, all or that. that they may be then, ostracized from their group. Yeah, all that stuff. That's I mean, that's the emotional part. That's tough to dislodge, right? It's not. And and, and there's other examples in, in all of our lives with this, not just this, this election stuff. But then the other thing, I think you're right. Because there's there's just a certain percentage of people. I don't know how many, but enough that we got to deal with it um, that really don't believe in democracy. They just. And, 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 and it could be anything. It could be ideology, could be race, could be whatever. I'm not trying to put a finger on it. But if their tribe, whatever that tribe is, is not the one on top or in power, they're just not happy. They're fearful. And I think because we all project, right? And I think the problem with people like you and I who are okay if all of our needs aren't met every second and that if someone that we don't agree with is in power, that's okay. As long as they're running the trains on time, and, and generally, you know, um, um, adhering to the norms of our culture and, and, and the country and the Constitution, we're OK with that. And we believe in the spirit of, hey, the next election, you know, our side might, might, might do better. Yeah. I think that we project onto everyone else because, you know, human beings project, do projection all the time. So we project that everyone else must be like us. And then we try and rationalize. Well, how come people it must be that they're being duped. It must be that they're lied to. Yeah. But I think, you know, we got to accept that, no, some of these people just don't want to share. They yeah. don't want to share this country with anyone that doesn't think of things exactly like them. Yeah. And then yeah, the when other they say side, it's our country, we got to believe them. You know, they got to yeah. believe that they really think that, I should say. Yeah. Like we said, with Sarah Palin and 08 saying, let's take our country back. I was naive to that. Now I'm not. It's like, okay, well, yes. Yeah, think about it, though. She was Her country wasn't being occupied by some foreign power. Exactly. That's my <laughs> point. That's why I was naive to it, because I thought... Oh, I don't know who she's talking to. That's interesting. You know, now it's like, okay, I get it. There's people that literally say, if it's not my people at the top, again, and I'm not, the definition of my people, it could be very broad. It could be ideological, could be the tribe, whatever. It's just, it's illegitimate. And I think what happens is, just like I said, with human beings projecting, they project their own feelings on everyone else. So they think that anyone that wins must be a cheater yeah. or must have done it some other way because they don't believe because they were willing to do that as well. Yeah, because they like, were willing oh, well, to do it course. themselves. And so exactly. that's why no wonder why Donald Trump was sitting there planning on staying in power and planning on saying, like you said, that he won no matter what the election results were. Um, just he got beat by Fox. <laughs> but well, no, it, because because is, in his but look at his MO in his life. We know it's well documented that he has cheated a lot to get to where he's gotten. Well, no, so it's yeah, no surprise he in would his say mind, his, uh, well, think about it. In his mind, he I bet you he's sure Joe Biden is do, is thinking just like him, trying to yeah. figure out a way to cheat to get in. Yeah. You know, like Trump's figuring it out. And he's like, yo, Biden's over there. I'm sure he's over there staying up late trying to figure out how doing the same thing I'm doing in the same way. Biden projects onto Trump like, OK, well, he's going to be reasonable about this and everything like that. And so, yeah, you're kind of you're in this. It's asymmetrical, so to speak, where everybody, people with bad intentions are projecting bad intentions on the other side and people with good intentions are projecting good intentions on the other side. And so you end up. Yeah, and let's, let's do this, let me, too. Not not to make it partisan. Right. Like, I think this is what happened first within the Republican Party itself. You had a lot of moderate Republicans who believe in the democracy and believe that, you know, if we lose fairly, you know, we're just 
we'll just work hard and, and come back the next election and win fairly. I think they projected onto their fellow party men who were who were of this mindset that we're talking about, like, oh, they're not serious. They wouldn't well, yeah. really try and do a coup. They wouldn't. Re- and I think that's where we saw with like the William Bars and the Mike Pence's their comments during the hearings, yeah. which was like, at some point they figured they had enough because then they realized, oh, these guys are serious, and it was yeah, yeah, yeah. just a little bit too late, you know. Well, no, they- that's actually what to me when I look at the results at this point. First, I'll say this. Sometimes you have to do the right thing no matter what. So I'm not going to say like it would have been better if they could have done it earlier, uh, you know, but I'm not going to condemn this in any way because they had to do it. This is when they were able to do it. And so they did it and they made a record. And whether it makes a difference now or in 10 years or it's something that, you know, if, if things continue on and you know people can study it in the future and understand, you know, the nature of a democracy and how to keep it and so forth better. Great. But the thing to me is to keep hearing whether at the time of the insurrection or after the fact to this day, keep hearing all these self-identified conservatives come out and say, Hey, the Republican, you got, we got to watch out for the Republican party. Cause these are conservatives saying this to me. Cause anytime, you know, I'm the type of person that I'm always self-evaluating. You know, are, are my positions strong or my, am I, am I seeing this right? And some of that is the nature of my profession. Cause I don't like, if I'm making an argument, I want to know what the counters are going to be. And so I can prepare for those and so forth. But some of that is just how I'm wired. And so when I keep seeing all these, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the, the, not the conservatives. I think conservative thought, conservative mindsets are very important to balance with progressives. And because you, you want to have somebody who's looking, you know, a little more biased towards what is, you got to have somebody who's looking at more towards what could be, and then they figure it out together. So I think both mindsets are very important. And I see all these conservatives like, Hey, this stuff isn't conservative. These guys are radicals. The GOPs turned into radicals. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. So that's what I think I'm seeing too. And so coming out of the hearings now, I'm like, okay, well at minimum, those people, and when I say those people, I'm talking about like conservatives who are still coming at this stuff with an open mind and trying trying to to expand democracy and just to expand the American Republic. They are as offended at what's happening I am, and so okay, yeah, then we have a shot. Basically, is what I come away with saying. Okay, well, there are people who have a more progressive mindset, and and I'm not talking about the rabbits of any side. I'm talking about right now the the center right, the center left. Like okay, there's people on both sides that see there's a problem here. Of the the you know, both sides, meaning not partisan, but kind of thought mindset. See, there's a problem here, and so yes, we have extremists amongst our midst. We have radicals in our midst, and we have to figure out a way. Again, the way we handle that in this country isn't by storming a capital. The way the way we handle that is we go to the ballot box and we vote them out. We make it so it's not profitable politically to be like that. And so, to me, that's what. That's the the call to action from the hearings is that everybody who cares about uh, a republic, democratically elected uh, officials, needs to recognize that that's what's on the ballot now is does our system of elections and peaceful transfers of power continue or are behaviors that are antithetical to that going to be rewarded? So. But the next topic we wanted to discuss, uh, you know, we, we've seen some recent research uh, talking about basically the, 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 pre- the presentation was that they, they to eating after 10, eating meals after 10 p.m. And how bad that is from health standpoint, which most people kind of get that, you know, I think intuitively, but just not just in terms of, oh, you gain weight like that. But they're talking about like metabolic syndrome, diabetes, like that it really primes your body to go in these directions from a, down to a hormonal level. 
And so this is not something really that it's, you, you can mess around with. Like you really set yourself up for negative health outcomes if you're consistently eating at that time. So what was your, you know, did you have any thoughts on, on this, you know, this recent research or is this kind of more the same to you or any, anything you pulled away in particular? Um, I mean, it's it's a little bit more of the same, but not in a bad way. It's just that, you know, I mean, I think most of us have heard that kind of, you know, eating late at night and all that isn't good for you. I mean, it's it's good to have the scientific, the study backup of it. Yeah. Um, I think also, because it makes sense, right? Like you're eating all this food and you go to sleep. So clearly your body, it's not like eating at 10 in the morning, right? Um, where you have the whole day of of just, you know, burning calories, whether it be walking, thinking, reading, talking, you know, all these things are burn energy. And clearly when you're sleeping, you're just not burning as much energy. So I think that stands to reason. I think another thing that I've heard, which makes sense too, is most of the time when people eat at like late at night like that, let's say after 10, I mean, if you're sitting there trying to get snacks at 11 midnight, usually you're not eating the healthiest thing. I think yeah. that also, because I mean, if if somebody is really hungry and they hadn't eaten since, you know, noon and it's 1030 at night and they literally, you know, go and have a salad with vinaigrette dressing and it's all, you know, leafy greens, I get a feeling your body is not going to have such a tough time digesting, even if it's sleeping and your metabolism slower. It may not have the same, like you're saying about diabetes and all these other negative effects. It may not have that kind of outcome, even if you did that regularly versus, but most people don't do that. They're going to the fridge grabbing something that was processed or something easy, throw it in the microwave. And so usually, or they're snacking on junk food, right? Literally potato chips or chocolate bars or things like that, that just kind of are quick and convenient because you just got a little hunger. So I think that has plays into it too, is that we usually have much lower quality intake the later you go at night. You know? Well, yeah. And most of these things with the body, I mean, and this is why it's oftentimes so hard to have just concrete to do, not to do is that it's, it's multifaceted and we never know how to apportion percentages as far as what it is. Because one of the, the interesting notes on the study was looking at the hormonal level and they talk about the hormone leptin and that, and this would conceivably, this wouldn't matter whether it was a salad or a, a pizza pocket, just that you, it decreases the, the, the leptin hormone when you eat so late, which makes you hungrier the next day. It makes you a bit harder to, to do. So you'll be hungry. You'll want to eat more and you'll burn less calories the next day. So it almost primes your body in a way. It, and where I've heard something similar to this is that, and you kind of touched on this, but it's, you don't, you want to be done digesting by the time you go to sleep. And when I say done digesting, like it's out of your stomach, it's, it's on to now it's going to be in your intestines for a long time. So, you know, it's not, that's not the issue, but whether or not stuff is still actively in your stomach, they've basically tied some of the hormonal issues that come with this. And so if you, by eating late, even if you eat something healthy, set yourself up to be hungrier the next day and set yourself up to, to, to store more fat, you know, burn less calories and so forth, then those kind of changes also change the hormonal environment in your body, make you more prone to things like if you're storing more fat, that makes you more prone to, to metabolic syndrome. So it's these cascading effects that to me, the big takeaway here was, and I, the big takeaway here, like, okay, yeah, we figured out these other things that eating, you know, again, it, it's kind of a rule of thumb, don't eat too late, but we figured out all these, the, we have some new thing, reasons why it matters, but logic would have it. There's probably even other reasons that we don't know yet why it, yeah. it, 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 there's more of the, to the cascade and so forth. And so it's one of those things that as a rule of thumb, it's like, well, if we can make... The reason I think it's notable, something to pull out, is because it's still a relatively small change. Like if you're going to eat that pizza pocket, eat it at eight. 
you know, or eat, give yourself. I try yeah, to get well, myself, a, oh, go ahead. No, and that's sorry to just jump in, but that's where I, I was saying, like, because the study did say that all this, like eating later, right, leads to obesity. Yeah. And then it's the obesity that leads to all the other bad stuff, like the yeah. potential for type 2 diabetes, heart disease, which is the number one killer in the United States. 647,000 people die every year of heart disease. Um, and so the that's why I think sometimes it's hard to for people to make these connections because it's like, and I think this is where, again, maybe kind of even a throwback to the first part of the show, which is when you throw too much at people, they just kind of tune out. Yeah. And so I think when when you throw in all this stuff about, oh, but if you eat late, you're going to get heart disease and diabetes and all that, it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's too much. Whereas if you drew a simpler line and said, okay, eating after this time consistently will just increase your obesity or ch- chance for obesity. And then the obesity is what's going to potentially kick all these, cascade down all these other negative things. And to your point, that's what I'm saying. Like the quality of food that late at night being much worse also adds to that. Is one of those because, aggravating factors. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm thinking like, okay, if if I had a cup of tea and, you know, again, a, a, a leafy green salad or I chopped up a cucumber and dipped it in hummus at 1030 at night, you know, that type of meal probably isn't going to be so bad for me as opposed to like Tunde, you said, a pizza pocket. I'm going to tell you something, Tunde. It seems like you're defending eating late as long as you eat something healthy. <laughs> That's the second time you're like, yo, I'm going to eat something healthy. So, but no, I'm just messing with you, man. Uh, no, but the- you might be right because that's usually when I, <laughs> that's usually when I get the munchies. So, well, <laughs> we'll see. I'm gonna say something else that you're not gonna like because the other thing I think that stands out about this is the idea. Again, the what you're doing when you're consuming calories that late is you're throwing off how your body processes those calories and then setting yourself up having a more negative hormone environment the next day. People often don't tie it together, but you drink calories as well. You know, whether it be alcohol, whether it be, you know, soda or juice or whatever. You think you're drinking, you know, eat, hey, I'm going to drink some apple juice or something like that. It's, you know, but it's like it's still you're, you're throwing calories into your body. Your body's going to have those calories right then. Maybe it's not in your stomach for long, but it's still going to throw off your hormonal environment. It, it, apparently, your body doesn't like. Now, one other thing I'll mention here is and I know this just from past reading. Your body doesn't like it when you shoot your blood sugar up late at night, you know, like so if you're drinking apple juice, it's like, oh, yeah, but I'm not digesting anything like that. But that it will shoot your blood sugar up. Not if you're a healthy person, they won't shoot it up in some unhealthy way. But that shooting your blood sugar up at night blocks the production of other hormones that your body's supposed to be making at night. And so, again, it's all to your point. All of this stuff is some it's, it's just some convoluted stew. And so it's difficult, I think, a lot of times for diet people to come up with tried and true kind of just remember this, just do this because things, the reasons why things matter a lot of times aren't straightforward. Like I, I remember, you know, like for a long time and probably in some circles still to this day, people were like, Oh, eat a bunch of small meals throughout the day. And that's been shown. Okay. Well that throws off your hormones. But what they were telling people at the time when they were saying eat a bunch of small meals at the day, they were saying, Oh, well that makes it so you're less likely to overeat. So they were trying to solve a different problem. You know, and trying to come up with simple rules for somebody, but actually by solving that problem, then you got people shooting their hormones up and down all day and not giving their body a chance to actually finish digesting, go into that hormonal state and then eat again. And so all of this stuff is so convoluted that you really have to, in a sense, it it becomes an exercise in confirmation bias where you kind of just look. I'm going to do what I do, and then you look for the research that backs that up, and you ignore the stuff that doesn't. Yeah, and I think you know. Some of it is just, I think, if, as you're talking, it makes me realize, like, 
the kind of common sense of how the human, we talk about this stuff kind of on and off in various shows, things like evolution um, of our bodies, right? About to go paleo and, on me, man. And, and yeah. And um, <laughs> no, but just the idea that you think about the modern way we live, this industrial age where it's, it's kind of not natural in the sense that, you know, we work all day, we're supposed to sleep. I mean, up until the industrial age, most human societies had a, either a siesta type of thing where you would take like literally a two or three hour doze off in the afternoon to wake up later in the day and continue doing your stuff. Or they would go to bed at sundown because there was no lights, remember? Um, so and if no the sun TV set at and no, seven, yeah, no seven, eight o'clock. No, like, yeah, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, you would, you would go to sleep. You might wake up at midnight, two o'clock. You got the little oil lamp or the candle in your in your hut or your little room. And you, you know, you, you're talking with family, doing whatever, and then you're back to sleep by two, three in the morning and you wake up at, at sun, at, at sunup. And so now we've shoved our lives into this kind of, you know, one third of a 24 hour window, right? You've got a, eight hours are supposed to work, eight hours are supposed to sleep, eight hours to do everything else. And that's kind of unnatural. And having, you know, we've read all the studies, all of us, I'm sure listening to, right? Not having artificial light on trying to before bedtime. And then, you know, we all sit there on our tablets and our screens and our phones or have a TV in the bedroom, most people, blah, 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 blah. So the same thing with food, right? Like people didn't have refrigerators two, 300 or two, 3,000 years ago to just wake up at midnight and say, okay, I just want to eat something. I mean, yeah. maybe at the most you had like some grains near your bed because it's something that, you know, didn't need to be refrigerated. And just or some fruit eat. or some, you know, dry. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but just- I'll tell you this, and, and I do want to wrap though, but um, there, there is that thought process and I'm not knocking it. I mean, like, I think that I do actually think that there, as long as you're making an attempt, as long as you are trying to, okay, what works for me? And, you know, we've said before in other shows, listen to your body, but make an attempt to do, to, to, to not just do whatever your, your comes into your mind at any moment, but try to have some level of discipline, then you're ahead of the game most likely. But like you could, the line of thinking you're having, oh, industrial age, but the paleo people go all day. say, like, look, human beings evolved well, but in, and lived thousands and thousands of years before agriculture. So we should throw agriculture out. And in terms of that's that's throwing our health off as well. And they make a compelling case as well. So you can play out the oh the the, the quote unquote natural way for humans to live pretty far. You <laughs> no, know? I know. And I'm laughing because that's why nothing's perfect. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, if we go prior to like whatever the 10,000 years ago of, you know, of, of history of 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 farming right yeah <laughs> when it was all hunter gather yeah that's when life expectancy was 32 <laughs> you know what i mean like well but see, most they people throw, just they, heard, they you were throw old stats at you to say that actually it was longer and then it got shorter during agriculture but and again i'm, I'm just saying that just the same point as you is that yeah if you follow any str- any path down too far then you actually may lose perspective of the big picture you know, and so it's kind of it, this may be one of those things where it's kind of a good idea to have some knowledge of a bunch of different, you know, not a bunch, but several different kind of approaches. And then you kind of decide, OK, well, what works for me? What what am I not hungry all the time doing or what it allows me to have a clear functioning brain or whatever, you know, and then you kind of go that direction. So yeah. but I, I think we can wrap from here, man. Uh, you know, we appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode. I'll call it like I see it. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think, tell a friend, share it with a friend. Till next time, I'm James Keys. Tune Dag Online. All right, we'll talk to you next time.